something on my heart that I want to share this morning. It wasn't... Um, I had plans of coming back from holidays and then today, this Sunday, I wanted to talk about uh, some of the things we want to do as a community, as a church um, in 2019. But we're going to hold that off for a couple of weeks. And in a couple of weeks' time, which will actually be our birthday, and I didn't realise that till just now, Penny's dropping on our birthday Sunday, um, we'll talk a bit about uh, what opportunities are opening up for us this year? I, I, I've said it since the start of the year. This year, I believe, is a year of opportunity. God is going to give us opportunities uh, as individuals, as a community, to step into some things, to do some things, to be involved in some stuff that will bring glory to His name here on planet Earth. And that's that's what we want to do. We want to, um, you know, Donald Trump, it's Donald Trump's slogan, make America great again or something. Is that the thing he said? Well, I would love to make Jesus great again because uh, there's a lot of people out there who are trying to make Jesus insignificant and trying to reduce Jesus Christ to the same level as um, you know, Mary Poppins or Beauty and the Beast, just a fairy tale. But uh, I happen to believe that Jesus did actually die on a cross 2,000 years ago, that he was buried, that he was resurrected. And I happen to believe that his spirit is here with us today and that right now if I can reach out to him and open my heart and connect with him that he can change my life. I know that because at 19 that's what he did. I'm 46 going on 47 now but at 19 years of age that's what he did. And so I want to say to God, Lord use me because I want to make Jesus famous again. I want my life to reflect who he is and to shine a light. You know, uh, a lot of people are talking about how dark the world is today. You know, that it's getting darker and darker and darker. And we're moving further and further away from biblical foundations in community, family, society. So many changes have taken place and it seems rapid fire. But, you know, the exciting thing is this. Uh, the Bible actually says that, 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 that when it gets darker, that the light shines brightest in the darkness. So we flip that around in our head. It's really a time for us to be excited because if it's getting darker, then that means that our light is shining brighter. So is it getting darker or is it getting lighter? You know, if I want to sit there and go, the world's getting darker, well, I can get depressed and want to shut up shop and feel defeated and that there's no point moving forward and what's the point of trying and doing and being. But if I understand that light shines brightest in the darkness, the darker it gets, the more my light gets a chance to shine. So that's a, a, a positive thing. It flips the whole thing up on its end and says, no, no, now is, is the time where we, we should be getting more and more vocal about Jesus, not less and less. We should be more and more confident in who Christ is in us, not less and less. We should be wanting to get outside the walls of the church and declare his goodness more and more, not less and less. And the consequences for doing some of those things might come at us from community, society and so on. And the world might not think we're very popular. But at the end of the day, who cares? We've got a message uh, and we've got a mandate from God. We're ambassadors as if Christ was pleading his case through us, be reconciled to God. That's our message to the world. So anyway, a couple of weeks' time, I want to talk about some of those little opportunities that we've got. And it's not the be-all and end-all, but it's just doors that we know at the moment we have a chance to do some things in. As the, as the year goes on, we'll get more and more opportunity. Um, I just got back from, we, we did our holidays, we came home. And then after that, I, we came home on the Sunday and on the Monday, I jumped in the car and I drove back up to Brisbane. And I've just had uh, three days, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, with a Youth with a Mission school. I had uh, just over between 60 and 70 uh, people from the ages of 18 to about 30 gathered together in a room who had just had this amazing experience. They had completed what's called a discipleship training school. They had had 
12 weeks of, of lectures, learning about hearing the voice of God, um, spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit, the Father Heart of God, missions, evangelism, um, the roots and fruits of pride, uh, a whole bunch of topics that they've sat through and learnt about. And then at the end of the 12 weeks, they all jump on planes and some of them flew to Nepal and some went to Japan, some went to Detroit in the States, uh, some went to the Solomon Islands, they went to about five different destinations around the world. And then they come back and of course they're all pumped and excited, you've just had this awesome experience, you've met new friends from all around the world, you've been in this intense spiritual environment where really all you've got to think about is your relationship with God. You're not worried about uh, all the other stuff that most of us here probably worry about um, you know, or think about or on our mind during the week. We've got bills to pay, we've got um, you know, kids to drop off at sport practice or music and bring them home, pick up, we've got jobs we've got to go to, we've got the issues of our work that we need to think about and confront and deal with and so on. There are lots of other things. But this environment these guys were in, they don't have to think about none of that. They just think about themselves and their relationship with God. And it's a really awesome time. And I did one of those uh, back six months after I became a Christian. I went to YWAM and I did one of those schools. And it was an amazing opportunity, amazing time in my life. But I had to go and I had to speak to them. And my topic was re-entry. You've now had this incredible experience and you're on top of a mountain. I mean, how many of you have ever been to a camp, a Christian camp or a conference or something like that, and you went there and it shook you up? And at the, by the end of it, you were just riding high and you were making those declarations, I'll never fail you again, God, you know. Oh, I'm going to tell everybody I bump into about Jesus all the time. Every time I get on a plane, I'm going to share my faith with the person next to me. Anyone? Am I the only one that's made those declarations? Just me? Nobody else. No one's ever, come on, let's be humble here, people. And you're just on fire for Jesus and you're just up on, and you're on top of the mountain and you, and you, you, you can take on the world for Christ. We've all been there in those moments. But how many of you know that then you get home and within 24 hours we are going through these emotions? Because guess what happened? I went away and I changed, but when I come back to my normal environment, it hadn't changed at all. It was just me that changed. And I came back with all these grandiose plans and and passion and commitment, and after a while it kind of dissipates and I'm just left with the reality of where I'm really at. And so these guys are at this intense six-month experience and they're about to go home, so... They get me into the YWAM base to talk to them. For one and a half days, I put on a YWAM hat because I spent 13 years with the organization. And I talk to them about leaving YWAM, what the things they've got to process. And then for the second one and a half days, I put on a pastor cap and I go, you're coming back to my church. Here's some things I want you to think about. Because I want you to come back well. I want you to come back and I want you to bring this good stuff that God's done in your life and use it to bring unity and passion and life to your church, not disunity, not discontentment to people because you come back or YWAM did it like this YWAM worship had passion you guys don't know how to worship YWAM speakers like the, you, you're so shallow you're just not giving me the deeper things of God we hear all this kind of stuff so anyway I'm there and I'm talking to them about this and they've had this real high experience but they're going to go home and I know that for many of them it's an, it's an adjustment I know that because I went through it myself there's an adjustment when you come back no different to going away on that camp and when you come home there's an adjustment you've got to make and so in this passage here in Luke chapter 10 I want to talk to you about uh, a moment where the disciples went on a missions trip they went out and they did something wonderful and amazing for God And things happened. The lights were flashing and the bells were ringing and miracles were happening and so on. But Jesus has an interesting comment to make to them out of this. So in Luke chapter 10, 
It says in verse 1, After these things the Lord appointed 70 others, some verses say 72, and he sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he was going to go. So he's gathered these people together and he sent them out to have this experience. And he goes on and here's what he says to them. He says, The harvest is great. The laborers are the problem. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go your way. I'll send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, sandals. Greet no one along the road. Learn to trust me. Whatever house you enter first, say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, remain in the same house. Verse 8, whatever city you enter, they receive you. Eat the things. Verse 9, and heal the sick there. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So that's the core. That's the end result. What he's trying to say is when you go, go go this way. Have this attitude. But the end result of what I want you to do, I want you to heal the sick. And I want you to tell them the kingdom of God has come. And so they go out and guess what? They did it. They healed the sick. And they're preaching the gospel to people and they're seeing responses. Who doesn't love it when you step out in faith and it works? Who loves it when you, you, you get to the courage up, you muster up the courage to speak to someone about the Lord and they respond in a positive way? It puts you on a mountaintop. Who doesn't love it when you pray for somebody and then you find out either in that moment or later on in the week that God touched them and they're healed? That something happened. Who doesn't like that? It puts us on a mountaintop. So these guys have had this mountaintop experience. After that, they come back to Jesus and he gathers them together and he's doing a bit of a session with them. Let's process and talk about what you've gone through. And in verse 17, it says this, Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Even the demons are... Here's what's going on. They're rocking up and they're going, Jesus, he's going, did you preach and did you heal? And they say, yeah, we did. We healed the sick, we preached. But you're not going to believe this, Jesus. Guess what else we discovered on the way? You didn't tell us this. We discovered that when we use your name, that there's authority there and even demon spirits take off at your name. Did you know that, Jesus? Did you know that your name can do that? They're saying it like they're shocked. We had no idea that this would happen. I don't know what they thought. But then, of course, Jesus, you must have known that. Because, I mean, I can imagine your mother pushing the shopping trolley around Aldi's. And she looks to her shoulder and you're not there. You're in the second aisle. She calls out, Jesus! The checkout girl starts shaking and frothing at the mouth. Jesus is out playing with the kids. Mum comes out on the balcony. Jesus! Things start happening in the streets. People are falling over. All sorts of stuff's going on. As soon as the other kids see Mary come out, they bolt. They take off with their fingers in their ears. They don't want to hear it. They know what might happen. Jesus, even the demons are subject to your name. We could preach on that for a month. That as you go and you do the things that you know to do, God will open your eyes to more truth. We don't grow because of what we know. We grow when we go. Knowledge doesn't make us grow into mature believers. Knowledge isn't the thing that increases our capacity for God and in God. It's what we do with what we know. I would rather be doing a little bit than be knowing a lot. And I think that's the point. These guys only knew a little bit, but as they went and did what they knew to do, God opened their eyes and that's where revelation comes. That's where change comes. Just do the stuff you already know to do. Stop waiting for something else. Just do what you know to do. But I'm not preaching on that. I'm just throwing that out for you to... Have a think about. So they go, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus says this. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
Behold, I give you authority, trample on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means harm you. In verse 20, he says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Don't rejoice in the power that is available to you. Don't find your joy and your contentment and your peace in those mountaintop moments that you have with me. Life is bigger than that. Don't find joy and contentment in the fact that you've unlocked something and now when you pray, demons flee or the sick get healed or you preach and people respond. Don't let your joy be found in the stuff that you do that puts you on top of a mountain. See, if I find my joy in the success stories of life, I'll lose my joy when I'm not walking in success anymore. If my joy is dependent upon standing on top of a mountain, then my joy will disappear when I find myself standing in the bottom of a valley. That's not the joy that God offers to us as believers. That word rejoice in the Greek, it's an interesting word. Here's here's what it actually means in the Greek. It means calmly happy or well off. Calmly happy. It's not an ecstatic emotional thing. It's a sense of stability and peace on the inside of me because all is well with the world. Jesus is saying this, don't get overly excited about the success that you've just had because you know what's going to happen in a couple of years' time, I'm going to be crucified. And when they crucify me and they lay me in a tomb, the Pharisees and the religious leaders are going to get permission to run you guys out of town. And you're not going to be on the mountain. You're going to find yourself in a valley. You're going to find yourself fleeing Jerusalem. Acts chapter 7, when Stephen gets mad, you're going to find yourself fleeing. And you're going to find yourself not having time to make plans about where you're going to go or pack your bags or sell your house. You're just going to go because they're going to come after you and they're going to want to throw you and your wives and your kids Your husbands are going to want to throw you in prison and persecute you for this faith, this faith that right now you're so excited about and these miracles and these things that are happening. You're going to be on top of a mountain now, but one day you're going to be in a valley and the joy that you have right now wants you to have joy, but I don't want you to have that joy being based on and dependent upon standing on top of a mountain because that's not the joy and that's not the peace that Jesus comes to give us. If we have our joy and our peace in those mountaintop experiences, we are no different to the rest of the world. Christ has done nothing in our hearts. Because that's how the world operates. I find my calmly happy and my well-off in only the successful moments of life, only when I'm on top of the ladder, when I've got everything I want, when I've ticked all the boxes, when, 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 when God is moving and doing and life is exciting and life is, is punching along and, and the kids are doing what I want and the bank balance is where I want it to be and the car's working. I drove to Grafton yesterday for a football thing and I got 15 Ks out of Grafton. And next thing I hear this, my whole bumper falls off the front of my car and I'm going 100 Ks an hour and it's dragging along. I've pulled over. I didn't have a toolbox in my car. I've got nothing except for an old towel in the back that I used to wipe the dipstick on when I checked the oil. Thankfully, it's old, so I start tearing it apart to try to make bits of string out of this old towel. I'm sitting on the side of the road. There's not much room. Cars are flying past me. It's 35 degrees. I'm sitting on gravel. My bottom is burning. It's uncomfortable. And I'm trying to find little holes under the car that I can tie this thing up and try to get this bumper bar back on. 
But I'm sitting there thinking, praise God that my joy is not dependent on, on, on today being a great day or my joy is not dependent on whether this bumper bar is attached to this car or not. I can sit here in 35 degrees getting blisters on my bottom from the hot tar and I can be scratching around for an old towel and ripping it up and tying it up and trying to get my bumper to stay on there while guys are driving past in their fancy cars and no problems at all. I don't even have aircon in my car at the moment. So I'm not only my sweaty, I'm already sweaty before I get out of the car. But you know what? Praise God that my joy is not tied to how comfortable that car trip was. My joy is found in this. Jesus says, don't rejoice because spirits are subject to you. Rejoice because your names are written in the book of life. Let me tell you something. Your circumstances will change. Sometimes you're on top of a mountain, sometimes you're not. Your situations will change. Sometimes the kids do what you want, sometimes they don't. Sometimes work goes the way you want it to and you find satisfaction and fulfilment. How many of us, we got out of one job because we didn't like it, we got into another one, we thought the world has changed, I'm so happy I'm out of that, and then it didn't take long before you realise you probably don't like that one either. And so we go, hur, 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 hur. But Jesus is saying this, don't let your joy, don't let your calmly happy, your inner peace rest on whether you're on top of the mountain because you're not going to live on top of the mountain. Sometimes we come down here, but he says you can either get your calmly happy, your peace that can be attached to things of this world, the things of this world that are changeable, or you can attach your calmly happy and your peace to something unchangeable, and that is this, God loves you and your name is written in his book. Nothing will take that away. Nothing can change that truth. And this is what Jesus is saying. Don't rejoice just because of that. Be happy, yes. Have joy, yes. But don't let your sense of inner peace be connected to the fact that I've just had a great experience or a great encounter. Because we all know that one day we're having great, you know, some days are diamonds. What's the song? Some days are diamonds, some days are stones. You might be living a diamond day right now. Well, look, I'm assuming you are. You're here. You're surrounded by wonderful people. You've got aircon blowing on you. You're having a wonderful day. It's a diamond. Some of you might walk out of here in your afternoon, might turn to stone. It just might. But I think the point Jesus is making is this. Find our centre. Find our calmly happy. Being centred and grounded and rooted in the fact that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Your name is recorded in heaven your name's recorded in heaven and you know what this sounds real easy and I don't mean to put down anyone that's having struggles and hard times at the moment but here's what I found in my life if I make that my center if I can can understand that something transpired when I came to Christ the world changed for me Part of the unfolding revelation of God is me beginning to understand more and more of what that change is because I didn't know it straight away. But as I go on with God, I learn more and more how life has changed. Colossians says he put me from a kingdom of darkness and transferred me to the kingdom of light. In other words, he changed me. He picked me up, put me somewhere else. So I should be looking at life from a different angle. I should be seeing things differently because of who I am in Jesus, because of what he's done with me. Life is different. The lens that I look at problems now is different than the lens I used to look at a problem. I used to look at difficulty and say, it shapes me, it defines me. Because of that, I can't. Because of that, I have to. I used to look at the problem and go, that's the dominant thing in my life. That's the immovable thing. And I have to adjust myself around all my problems. Now I look through a different set of lenses. Now I look at the problem and I go, that problem is a problem today. In a week's time, it might not be. 
That issue I'm facing now is temporal. It's changeable. It's movable. Who I am in God is immovable and unchangeable. I get my peace, my sense of calmly happy out of my position, not my possessions. I'm seated in heavenly places, Ephesians tells me. It tells me that. Well, again, if I'm actually seated in heavenly places, I'm looking at my problem from a different angle than I would be if I didn't know Christ. And I found this in my life. As I face problems and situations, here's what I think. Even if that issue follows me for the rest of my life, then that issue is still only going to impact me for 40 more years. Then what? Well, then I move on, you see, from this drop of water called life and I begin to flow into this stream called eternity. The biggest problem, the biggest issue, I look at it and I go, okay, I can pray, I can make adjustments, I can do what I need to, but even at the end of the day, if you stay in my face, you've got to use by date, pal. One day I'll walk straight over the top of you and I'll keep going. It doesn't have to define me. It doesn't have to stop me. It doesn't have to rob my calmly happy. It doesn't have to rob my inner joy. I don't care if the property market plummets. I don't care if petrol prices go up. They disrupt me on a temporary level. But at the core of my being, you know what? Hey, I wake up today, guess what? I am still going to heaven. I wake up today and the world is against me. Hey, I'm still loved by God. Hey, Bible still says that he's for me, not against me. I'm still chosen. I still have my position in him, and that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying it's great that you've gone out in ministry and done successful things. It's great that you've healed the sick. It's great you've had all these experiences. But, you know, enjoy them. When you're on top of the mountain, enjoy it. Who loves being on top of the mountain? It feels better to be on top of the mountain than down in the valley. So while you're on top of the mountain, enjoy the experience. Enjoy it. When you're in the bottom of the mountain, I'm not saying deny it. Now, when you're down there, be honest about how you feel. But don't let it overrule the fact that, you know what, all these things are temporal. One day, I'll walk into eternity and none of this is going to matter. I was talking to a, a bunch of young guys about two years ago. And we were talking about Paul, the passage where Paul says, you know, I've learned how to have much, I've learned how to have little. I've learned how to do this and that. He said, I've been top, bottom. He said, I've learned the secret of all this stuff. The secret of contentment is I can do all things through Christ. And then this young guy asked me this question, which was a good question, actually. He said to me, but, but, but you're saying that, but does that mean then that we just sit where we are and that we don't have dreams, that we don't strive? And we don't want to provide more for our family. And we don't want a job that pays better. And we don't want to you know, get a nicer car or a bigger house or all this stuff. And the truth of the matter is, I think that stuff's fine. I don't think there's a problem with wanting to be successful in life. In fact, we had a leaders meeting the other day and we were uh, talking about the, the passage where um, uh, uh, the sons of, of Zebedee, the, the mother in uh, Matthew 20, Brings her two sons and pops them in front of Jesus. You know the story? And says, grant me a favour. This one on your left one, this one on your right when you get in your kingdom. Anyone know that passage? All I kept thinking when I'm reading that is I can just imagine how would a young, you know, all you mothers out there, how would your children react if you were to just take charge of their life like that and just drag them up? Oh, mum, Jesus, don't. You're embarrassing me. But they just went along and kneeled down and she said, this is what I want. 
I want him there and him there. And Jesus goes, well, look, end of the day, it's up to the Father. It's not my decision. But then the next verse says, then the other ten disciples were greatly frustrated, were angry at them. But what was it, what's interesting is that Jesus didn't get angry at them. As a matter of fact, Jesus went, that's a great desire. You want to be great in the kingdom. That's a great desire. So I'm not mad at you, but I'm going to show you how to do it. Become a servant. Become a servant. The other ten are frustrated. You want to be great. Ah, oh, no, don't you understand? This is Christianity. We're worms no longer men. We should be down here. And he says, no, 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 no. Aspire to more in life. Want to go higher. Want to go further. Want to go greater. Have dreams, aspirations. I reckon everybody in this room, you should be the best employee in your job. That should be your goal. I want to be the best number one employee in my job. If you're the boss, I want to be the greatest boss there's ever been in my industry. I want to be, I, I want this church to be great. I want us to be great. But understand that greatness is found in, in, in serving. It's not up top dominating down. It's getting under and lifting others up and pushing people past you. Getting under our community and going, how can we make our community great? What can we do to serve them? How can we push them forward? But Jesus wasn't frustrated at their desire to be great. As a matter of fact, he said, it's a great desire. I'll just teach you how to do it because the way you're thinking about it is wrong. But the desire inside to want to be great is good. So the desire to want more and have more is a wonderful thing. But here's the thing. If you, th- if you want that stuff because you think you're going to find something there that you can't have here, that's the problem. If you think that you need to be over there, I need that new car, and then I'll feel, then I'll have. I need the bigger house. I need the new job. I need everyone around me to respect me more. I need people to listen to me. I need people to recognize. If we're constantly thinking that there's something else that we're striving for, I need to be known to be someone. I need to be great. I need the promotion. If you think that getting there will give you something you can't have now, then that motivation is wrong. Because you're not chasing after it for the right reasons. You're trying to get something that Jesus is saying you don't have to go there to have it. You can have it now. You can have your calmly happy in this life today right now. Whatever it is that you're thinking, the frustrations in your world, the stuff that you think has to shift and has to change before you can embrace your calmly happy, before you can center yourself, before you can, can grab a hold of peace, before you can, you can sort of quiet yourself and go all is well with the world. If you're waiting for something else to happen, here's what I think. You'll get there and it still won't be waiting for you because we don't get it. It's not about what we have, where we're standing what people think. It's about coming to a place of understanding and agreeing with what Jesus said. Don't rejoice in all these things. Rejoice because your name is written in heaven. That's the one unchangeable fact. That's the one thing that nobody can take away from you. So build your life on that. And I find in my life, when I center myself on that, things that maybe two years ago rattled my cage or I couldn't wait to get from A to B, or I couldn't wait to... I find that I'm standing in a totally different place now, and I'm looking at those things so differently. They're so different. Some of those issues and problems are still there, but they are not disrupting the core of who I am. They're not rattling me. I'm not going, I want that thing fixed, because if that gets fixed, it benefits me. I don't need any more benefit. Now I'm able to look and go, no, no, no. 
if I want that thing fixed, it's for the benefit of that person or that situation or that thing. It's not all about me. But when we can't centre ourselves, we, sometimes we want other things, situations fixed. Truth is, it's for our benefit. So I can get something out of you suddenly changing. Whether you're on a mountaintop or you're in a valley, Jesus says, don't get your joy out of that. Don't get your joy out of being up there because if you do, that means that you allow your joy to be stripped when you're down here. That's not what life is about. That's not what life is about on planet Earth. That's not what life should be about for us. Philippians 3.20 says this. It says, for our citizenship is in heaven. You live here, but your citizenship is elsewhere. You live on this planet, but your citizenship is elsewhere. Why do we allow the things of this world to so dominate and dictate the way we feel? What we do? Why are we so attached to the things of this world? We are temporary residents passing through if we believe what the bible says we're just we're journeymen on a way through hey collect a few mementos have a great life enjoy it do the best you can leave the best legacy you can for your family all that stuff i've got no problem with that but do it all with the knowledge that hey this is not my home this is not my home it's not I'm journeying through. So if this ain't my home, then some of the things that are tearing me down, that are holding me back, they they shouldn't mean so much to me. Because in 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, whatever it is, one day they won't mean anything to me. All will mean anything to me will be the glorious face of Jesus Christ as I stand in front of him and worship him. Your citizenship is not here, it's in heaven. Um, 1 Peter 1.17 says, Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. It's not meaning fear is in being scared, but he's saying conduct yourself during your stay here. In other words, it's just uh, anyone done a layover in an airport? Somewhere you travelled somewhere and you go to that airport and you stay there. You know what? You stay there and you know what you do, most of us? Most of us generally, t- even if there's things you don't like, it's hot water. you find things to occupy, you find positives about it. The things that you don't like, they don't rattle you to the core because you know I'm only here for a while. A couple of hours I'll be on a plane and I'm gone. So I'm not going to allow that situation to dominate how I feel. I'm not going to allow that circumstance to dictate how I think about myself or the world around me or others. No. Because I'm just stopping here for a little bit and then I'm moving on my way. Hebrews 12.23, To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. You're registered in heaven. That's your home. You are registered in heaven. That's awesome. There's a registry up there, and your name's in it. My name is written in heaven, I have a relationship with God, but this person's annoying me. I'm going to allow that person who annoys me to disrupt my calmly happy, more than I'm going to allow that, to send me and go, you know what, at the end of the day, that's what matters. You know, I think we've got to not allow ourselves to get so attached to the things of this world that the truths of heaven no longer shape us no longer excite us, no longer bring joy to us, no longer point us in the right direction, that the things of this world have more power to drag us down than the truth of God does to drag us up, then we have a problem. Houston, there's a problem somewhere in our hearts, in our perspectives, in our lives. So I want to encourage you this morning. I'm going to get these guys up. Uh, If you need to go, it's five past 12, that's fine. But I just wanted to finish with that song that we sung this morning. That um, uh, What was that one again? Who you say I am. I want us to stand up and I want us to finish with that song because it's who God says we are and what God says about me that should be the most dominant factor of my life. I can live my life as a Christian 
but just be natural and nominal like the rest of the world, in which case, what impact has Christ had on your life? You see, Jesus isn't just, I'm in your life now, but you just, I want you to suffer and have everything the same as everybody else in the world, and one day you'll die and then you'll be in heaven. No, no. Jesus said, I come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. Now. He's talking about now. I came to give you a quality of life now, perspective on your existence right now that is different to the rest of the world. Your name is written in heaven. If you know Jesus, your name is written in heaven. You know what? If you don't know Jesus and you're here today, here's the thing. Here's what God's doing. He's sitting up there right now with that register in front of him. He's got a pen in his hand. He's ready saying, I'm ready to write your name. All you've got to do is ask. All you've got to do is ask and I'll write your name on the pages. All you've got to do is open up your heart and say, you know what, Jesus, I'm, I, I, I want you to come into my world. Forgive me. I've tried my hardest for as long as I can to do things my own way. I'm going to humble myself before you. And I just want to say, Jesus, come. Thank you that, that there's a, I might, I might feel like I'm great. I might feel like I'm better than Mother Teresa. I'm 80 out of 100. But there's still that 20 and I can't bridge that gap. So thank you, Jesus, that you took it upon yourself to bridge that gap for me. And all God's waiting for is for you to open up your heart and say, Lord, come in. 19 years of age, I said, take do something with this. I've created a bit of a mess here, God. I've done the best I can. Not, a, not necessarily a bad person. I think my, I was an okay sort of guy, but I messed it up and I needed help. So I just cried out to God. I didn't have to, I didn't know what to do other than open up my heart and say, Jesus, come in here. Grab a hold of me, do something. Speak to me, teach me, change me. I don't know how he does it, but he does. He did it. He did it for me and he can do it for you. And stand to our feet. I just want us to sing this through once. Let's just sing these words through once. Whatever that problem is right now, whatever it is you're sitting here, whatever it is that you're thinking, yeah, but you don't understand my problem. You know what? No, I don't. But it's either true or it's not. I don't need to understand your problem. Whatever that thing is that you're waiting for, that you're believing for, you can have a calmly happy in your life right now even without that thing coming to pass. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't rejoice in all that. Hey, rejoice in this. God knows you. God loves you. And God's got a hold of you. So while we sing this song, I want you to think about whatever that thing is. And I want you to bring that thought, that thing into subjection. You bring that under the authority of Jesus. You bring that under the cross. And you go, you know what? That thing does not have more power to disrupt my world than the cross does to calm it and bring it into order. Let's sing. of us in this room, God, if we have bowed our knee to you, if we have given our life to you, then Father, greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. Father, if we bowed our knee to you, then our names are written in that book. And Lord, let us understand that the peace we can have from that one fact, the way we can anchor our soul on that one piece of information, that one piece of truth, if we can buy it and believe it, can change everything about everything. So Father, as we go from here this morning, God, and we walk back into the situation, we walk back into the circumstance, God, we walk back into uh, the substance of whatever that thing is that's trying to control us and trying to control our joy and trying to control our life and trying to pull us away from the victory we have in you. God, whatever that thing is, I pray as we walk from here this morning, 
and we look it in the eye this time. Let us look at it, not from underneath, but let us look at it from above, looking down, knowing that the truth we have in our heart, our relationship with you is unchangeable and movable, but that situation can change. Lord, don't let us camp around it. Don't let us use it as a justification as to why we can't have peace or why we can't find our calmly happy, why we can't rejoice. You know, just while I'm praying, I'm just reminded of a friend of mine who used to have this saying. He used to say, rejoice, rejoice, you've got no choice. But he was wrong. He's actually wrong. You do have a choice. And what Jesus did here, he didn't say to them, don't be excited about that. Because a couple of verses later, verse 21, the Bible says that Jesus turned and he prayed to the Father. You read it when you get home. And the Bible says that Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit. and said, Father, I thank you that you've revealed these things to babes. And you've kept them hidden from the wise and the arrogant and the religious. But you've revealed this stuff. Jesus was excited. In the Greek, that literally means actually that he jumped and danced around. I, I started it. So Jesus is jumping and dancing. Going, Father, I'm so excited that you showed this to them. Woohoo! So he didn't say to them, don't be happy about that. Don't be excited about that. What he said was just shift your focus. Keep the joy, but shift your focus because the real joy comes out of your relationship with God. Amen? Real joy comes from there. So I could sit here and just say, just start being joyful. Start being calmly happy. No, that doesn't work. That's a choice. That doesn't work. Calmly happy is a fruit of being focused on the right things. Your calmly happy is a fruit of being focused on the right things. We're finished uh, our little gathering here now. I know people have to go, but here's what I want to do. If, if you're here today and you feel the Lord's been speaking to you about something, uh, we'd love to pray with you. It's just a way of, of agreeing with you. And two or more are gathered when we agree anything concerning uh, earth here, concerning anything, it'll be done. Jesus said, so we want to just pray with you and agree with you that God will, will do whatever it is that he's saying in your heart right now. We want to pray and stand with you and just agree for God to continue what he's doing. Because when we walk out there and you confront it with the world, your focus gets taken all over the place right now. This is the most clearly you're going to think all week. It's the most clarity you're going to have. Because you're sitting here with other believers, hearing the word of God, worshipping God. This is the most clearest environment in the world for you to think. And if God's saying something here, don't think, well, I'll walk out there and think about it. Because your clarity will get all... It dissipates out there. This is the clearest you're going to think in the environment of belief and faith. It's your environment like water to a fish. Environment of faith is where we're meant to be. So we want to pray with you this morning if that's you. And also want to ask one other group of people. There are some new faces here. I don't know you. But I want to just say this to you. If you have not invited Jesus into your heart, then I just want to say this. God, I believe it. God is sitting there now with a pen in his hand. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to do anything other than humbly come before him and say, Lord, I need you. Wash me clean. Come into my life. Change my heart. It's not about your efforts trying to clean yourself up to get good. He'll do that stuff. That's what he does. It's the beauty of God. So if that's you here today too, I don't want you to leave. You feel something inside. You can't understand it. I want you to come forward. I'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk to you. So feel free if you've got to go, but let's just... Honour this environment here. If anybody would like prayer, just come on up. We'd love to pray with you. God bless you. Have a fantastic week. And if you get a chance this week, and I know you will, you're going to get a chance to tell somebody or to show somebody the reality of God that doesn't know it yet. Take that chance. Step out in faith. Do it. Amen. Bless you.